Our reading today is from Philippians chapter 2. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord. Yeah, I don't know if I could make it the full length of time I was planning on doing that. That, was, <laughs> that is so incredibly uncomfortable. I mean, my, <laughs> my chest is beating you know, pretty hard. Um, my name is Confessor. I'm one of the, of the only <laughs> pastoral candidate uh, here at the, at the Painted Door. Um, and it's my privilege to be up here and share the Word of God. Um, uh, a few years ago, a friend of mine actually was preaching at another friend's church, and he did something similar. You know, he was at a larger church, um, several thousand people and, um, in Tennessee, and uh, Keith Norman is his name, and um, you know, he's an African-American with dreadlocks, and my buddy's church, of course, it's in Tennessee, so it's predominantly a, a white church, and you know, he did that, and I was feeling uncomfortable watching it on video, and thinking, what the heck is going on? And, and it is, it is hard. It is, it is really uncomfortable to, one, allow people into the discomfort of your own life. Um, that's uncomfortable on its own. Um, it's also uncomfortable to insert yourselves 
into other people's lives. Um, <clears throat> no one likes to be uncomfortable. No one likes to feel any great measure of discomfort. I mean, we'll put up with it um, if we see hope at the end of that discomfort, i.e., we work longer, we make more money, we eat differently, we lose weight, um, we move to a different neighborhood, so we put up with all the, the paperwork and the um, uh, people looking into our finances in order to move to a bigger, better, safer place. So we, we're willing to put up with a measure of discomfort if we can see hope at the end. But by and large, as, just as people, we always tend to move to whatever is most comfortable. I mean, we even do it without thinking sometimes. Sometimes it's intentional. Sometimes it's not intentional. When we move into communities and neighborhoods that reflect our value, our culture, uh, our way of living, whether it's in a prosperous area or in a broken area, we tend to move to places that make sense for us, places that make uh, us feel comfortable and safe. And I find it funny, too, is that comfort can be attained in any circumstance, um, whether it's in, again, in a, in a very wealthy place where there's not a lot of crime, there's not a lot of drama, there's not a lot of stuff going on. But comfort also exists in some of the most broken places, and people learn to live with each other in some of the most shattered places in their lives. And to venture outside of that to something new, to something different, creates a great sense of discomfort. So, in general, people don't move to discomfort. The trouble with comfort is that it's oftentimes just safe and predictable. Comfort doesn't stretch the imagination. Comfort doesn't always cause growth in people's lives. So how do we move out of comfort? It has to be intentional. There's an intentional movement in our lives to move out of comfort and into the discomfort of someone else's life. People in the church and outside the church can oftentimes interrupt that comfort if we allow it. See, the thing with, with moving to comfort is actually moving people into our peripheral vision. And it's kind of, they kind of, we move people to exist somewhat in, just in the corner of our eye. We know that they're there but our direction is forward. We don't even want to look backward. We're just looking forward. And the beauty of peripheral vision is, right, if you see something coming in this direction, you know, you know to move out of the way. Whoa. Right? <laughs> see, I saw that from the corner of my eye. I'm, like, limited to this little square box, and I'm really uncomfortable being here. I want to, I want to get this thing out of my face. <laughs> I just want to flow with it, but um, I've got to stay put. Um, I've got to stay right here in this little box. But we do that, right? You know, we can talk about the people who live in the margins, and right away we just we, be, we generalize that, 
and we put people in this big category. But if we just stop and think about it, just individually, not so much collectively as a church, just individually, we all know and have people that exist in our peripheral vision. People that create too much drama and too much tension for us. They interrupt our path moving forward. Our goals, our needs, our self-interests have to take precedence over everyone else's because that is successful living, right? It is moving forward. It is moving up the ladder to some degree or another, whether you're living high in, in a good neighborhood or even living low in a broken neighborhood. There's always a sense of we have to move forward. We can't allow people to enter into our lives that are going to create some sort of disruption or interruption to mess that all up for us. What does the scripture say? In Philippians 2, if we start from the top, 1. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being in the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord, and of one mind. I I just want to take that and just put a pin in it. And I want to set that aside because we know as, as a body, as people of Christ, we're like, well, of course. <laughs> we're called to love each other. We're called to have sympathy for each other. We're called to do these things for each other. And it goes on. Do nothing out of rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his interests, but also to the interests of others. Right here, in this section, as it bleeds into verse 5, 6, and 7, is where the rubber hits the road type of Christianity. And I mean by that because it's taking it out of just knowing those verses in our mind or even contemplating them in our own hearts. But what the Apostle Paul is doing here, he's gently, and maybe not even that gently, pushing the Philippian church further out of comfort. Paul is writing this letter from prison, so he's already experienced a great measure of discomfort. And as you kind of go throughout the book, you realize to what degree uh, he's feeling that discomfort. Not just him, but the people who are accompanying him, Epaphroditus, or whatever, however you say his name, is near death. And Paul acknowledges that before the church. But he's saying it's this, this is not just something that we believe. It's not just something that we know. It's not just verses in a book to be written, to be memorized, but it's an action that actually begins to take place. If it sounds a bit prescriptive, that's because it is. 
It is prescriptive. This is where Paul is saying, take everything that we know about Christ and put it into practice. Take everything that we know of who he is and let's live it out for people who live in the margins. Sometimes we want to think that life in the Spirit is organic. That if we're saved and we have the Holy Spirit, that these things are just going to gloriously manifest in us as those who believe in Christ. And there are parts of that relationship with the Spirit that are organic, that do just kind of begin to take place. But if everything was just simply organic, then perhaps we should change our name from the Painted Door to Whole Foods Community Church. I thought that maybe that <laughs> I tried it. That maybe that'll bomb. Um, but it's not always organic. Paul is reminding the church in a very real way what their responsibilities are as faithful followers of Christ. It's to count others better as they make plans, as they conceive of their own interests for their future, to do so with the mindset of considering others. And if we just, if we take that word interest and we replace it with any other word, if we say, you know, as you, as you prepare your finances, think of those that do not have enough. As you prepare a place for yourself to live, think of those that might not have a place to live. As you go out to buy new and greater things, he's saying, consider those that have nothing. And he's penning this from prison. And he's saying, as you consider that you're safe at home and not locked up in a prison cell, consider those that are locked up. Now, actually, when I was going through this, I really felt like the Spirit was leading me, and I, I fought it for a little while, and I actually called a couple of friends, uh, Brad and, and Stan, if I can just share a little bit of their story and where they're at and, and how this plays out. And Before I go there, I want to move on to just verse 5, as it kind of, verse 4, 3, and 4, just bleed into this, having this mind among yourselves which is in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God, which literally means he emptied himself out. A thing to be grasped. Who in their right mind would let go such authority, such privilege, such power? But he made himself nothing, taking on the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men. The king, being a servant to the father, being a servant to his creation. A king coming 
into this world. Already, even before that, with drama nipping at his heels, thinking of every conceivable way to, to, to not live in that life of privilege or, 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 or with the authority. And right from, right from the beginning, um, Mary, a teenager, being pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Joseph, like, uh, all right, uh, I could divorce her or I could just I end this quietly. Um, and it takes the supernatural work of the Spirit to intervene so that Joseph could continue on with the relationship, continue on with the marriage, and see this thing through. And right from birth, Jesus is already on the run. Already running. And we don't know from that point on to the beginning of his ministry, but we know that in Isaiah 53, the way that it describes who he is or how he grew up. In verse 2, For he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out in dry ground. He grew up vulnerable. Not just in infancy. And if, for, for the parents here, right, we know how delicate a baby is and how long we have to take care of that child it's not just like you know in the jungles of africa where someone is born uh, 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 not someone <laughs> an animal is born and then right away they spring up start walking and their 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 uh, survival mechanism begins to kick in and they know how to run they know how to do hide and 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 all that good stuff not so with a human baby not so when they're one week old, two months old, two years old, three years old, five years old, ten years old. And the way things are going now, not so till after the age of 27. <laughs> so he was born vulnerable, needing his creation to care for him, needing for his own creation to provide for him. And then maybe in verse 3, this paints just a little bit of a picture of how he was as he grew up as a young man and as a man before his ministry, that he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrow, acquainted with grief, and one from whom men hid their faces or it could possibly mean that he also hid his face from people as well. And there's people in our lives that are here, but then also not here. I mean, there's some of us can be in a room full of people and yet never feel connected, never feel like they belong. There are people that live in the shadows of community or in our communities that we just never see. This is our king. Well, to live in the tension 
means that we have to intentionally insert ourselves in people's lives. And this is where I'm thinking of um, Brother Brad and Janelle and little Lily and Stan. who chose to live in hardship, in a place where sorrow abounds, where heartache is just minutes away, where people are more accustomed to suffering and they've placed themselves in a position to suffer right along with them. A place where joy is fleeting. A place where they have to dig deep some days to find the truth and the promise of Scripture that God is good. Because there's just so much destruction. Not just in physical death but in a death by dying by a thousand cuts. By people who live in the margins and in the corners of our eyes. By people that we move around so we don't have to go through. Because to go through is an interruption of where we have to go. I don't want us as a church to romanticize that because it's easy to romanticize that. That's their story. It's not our story. That's where God called them. Didn't call all of us. And it's easy to manufacture those things, like to... to to manufacture it in the flesh. And this is not a recipe for social justice. This is not a recipe for activism. This is not a recipe for good Christian living. That's their story. Not ours. What's our story? What's your story? It doesn't have to be in those places. But as a church, we are caught up in that story with them as we hear from them and learn from them what it means to live in the margins with people. Do we honor them? Yeah. We do. Of course we do. As we honor each other. As we live out our story of living intentionally in other people's lives. As we break free from normal living or comfortable living so that as a body that we all can begin to move forward and insert ourselves into the story of this broken 
world. And let's just take it out of the world, right? Because we bring it into the world. It's like, whoa, the world. Into the city of Chicago. You know what? Let's just take it out of the city of Chicago because sometimes that's just too broad. Let's just, how about we move it into our neighborhood? Maybe the neighborhood is too broad. Maybe your coworker. You know that creepy guy. No, they're out there, right? Maybe it's the neighbor who's awkward and hard to get along with. Or maybe it's the neighbor who knows everything and it's hard to get along with. Maybe it's for someone in Brad or Janelle or Stan in context um, that lives in a broken community that they consider someone who's in a better station than themselves still greater than them. It's not just downward, but it's also upward. It's not people of privilege. And when I say that, I don't mean white people. I don't mean that at all. It's not just those who are in a better position giving to those that are not in a better position. It's us as we insert ourselves into those stories teaching that they too are also called to consider those who are already greater than them, positionally greater than them, to serve them, to be servants to them as well. It's not just one direction from the top down, but it can also be from the bottom up. I don't have much more to say on that. It's really hard to put more into so much more in that section of Philippians, but my heart is just drawn to that particular part. As a church, as a body, as individuals who make up the painted door. Can we all search for that story? Can we all see the people that exist in the margins? They're not always outside those doors. They could be in here. You could be that person. You could be that person that's in the shadows. Let's pray. Oh, Father, that we would be a church who lives that way with the mind of Christ. 
Father, we already see it to some degree manifesting itself with different members or attenders of this church. Father, we already see it happening in lives of people who are around us, who pour themselves out for the sake of other people, who live lives of discomfort, who allow people to interrupt their path. Oh, sweet Jesus, that we would see it more. Father, that we would risk our own reputations. Father, that we would risk our own safety. Father, that we would risk our own stability. That we could have your mind. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.